0: Welcome to Compliance Beat, the podcast for compliance and ethics professionals. We provide practical insights and answer your questions about compliance and ethics. Together, we'll stay up to date on current trends so that your program stays effective. Brought to you by Moorhead Compliance Consulting. Here's your host, Eric Moorhead. This time, I'm going to talk about common myths regarding regulatory and criminal enforcement. But first... As always, I want to remind everybody to please subscribe if you haven't already subscribed to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you prefer to download the podcast. And please send us your feedback. If you have the time to review the podcast on iTunes, please do so. All of that helps us, helps us improve the podcast, helps us improve the topics moving forward. And again, any suggestions, any ideas you have. We've been kind of changing around the format, making it a little bit shorter, going in a little bit slightly different direction here during this the summertime, and I'm always willing to further tack and further make changes as we go along. I think it will only make the podcast more interesting to those of you who listen. One issue that has come up recently in a couple of different conversations I've had has been around some common myths around enforcement. There are three of these that I wanted to talk about today. And the first one has been on the minds and in discussions over the last 6 or 8 or 10 months since the election and that's this notion of let's for lack of a better term let's call it the Trump factor or the uh, the Sessions factor if you're looking specifically at the Department of Justice. And this is the notion that the president who has campaigned strongly and still is campaigning strongly on the notion of reducing regulation and just generally trying to get government enforcement, government interference with business to be reduced, that somehow this is going to have an impact overall on enforcement, particularly enforcement of some of the hot button issues such as FCPA. Well, there's a couple of things I would say about that. First and foremost, if you're talking about FCPA in particular, you need only go to the FCPA blog or if you get their their email alert, you'll see that enforcement actions are still running apace. They're still happening. They're still coming out with regularity. The second th- thing I would say specifically about FCPA and about white-collar enforcement generally is every time that Jeff Sessions, who is still the Attorney General here on <laughs> August 23rd, 2017, maybe maybe he won't be by the time this podcast comes out, but I think he probably will, He has been very, very strident about not only continuing enforcing white-collar laws generally, but very specifically, he's mentioned FCPA. So uh, I think that if there was a belief that this sort of contra-regulatory rhetoric, if you will, was going to, at least in, in the specific case of FCPA, have an effect that would limit or reduce the amount of investigations and inquiries by SEC, Department of Justice, on, on that particular issue, or more generally, the Department of Justice on white-collar enforcement, I think that that's, so far, more than six months in, has been debunked. The second thing I would say about that, and this is sort of an inside baseball thing that I think I've mentioned before, but if you're lucky enough to have not been involved directly or indirectly with a federal criminal prosecution or investigation, you you may not know this. But if you were at an organization that was under investigation, then you know this to be true. These investigations have extremely long lead times. It is not abnormal for a case to be three to five years old before the public ever gets wind of it. That's not always the case. Sometimes they move a little bit faster than that. And I think some of these FCPA enforcements have shorter lifespans than they may have in the past. But let's just take one that has already been in the news that is still ongoing and hasn't been ultimately resolved. And that's the Walmart FCPA case involving allegations of bribery in their Mexico operations For those of you who aren't aware of this, uh, if you just Google FCPA and Walmart, you'll get a ton of responses. Walmart first went to the SEC and self-reported that there were potential issues with their operations in 2011, so six going on seven years ago. This investigation has been ongoing. Now, there have been various rumors, particularly here in the last six or eight months, that there might be close to a settlement. Apparently, the government last year suggested a settlement that Walmart did not want to agree to. But here's here's another important number. It's been six years, and it's still ticking away. And it's also reported that and this is from from since Walmart is a public company, they have to report the money that they're spending on these internal investigations and, and ongoing changes that they've had to undertake in their operation. That they've spent over eight hundred million dollars in the six years, so eight hundred and thirty odd million dollars has been spent, and it hasn't been resolved yet. You know, Walmart is is a probably a unique case, or or at least a singular in a lot of ways but I think it gives you an idea of how long these things might be able to drag out. So any investigations that were ongoing... Prior to Jeff Sessions becoming attorney general earlier this year, you know, we don't know how those are going to be resolved, and we may not even have heard of them yet because they have been ongoing. So even if Attorney General Sessions hadn't been as strident as he has been about continuing on with enforcement, there, there are lots of these, these things that are, for lack of a better term, already in the hopper, and that's just FCPA that's out there. Never mind, and this is, if you've listened to my podcast, you know this is a hobby horse of mine. FCPA enforcement is just a small slice of the pie of federal enforcement, both criminal and regulatory, around organizational issues. So those cases, those prosecutors, those resources, those investigators have been at work, are constantly at work, continue to be at work. I think that this is possibly the biggest myth that's been floated in the last year, at least, that this notion that somehow there's going to be a radical change on enforcement, both at a regulatory level or at a criminal level, around compliance issues, particularly issues that rise rise to the level of of a criminal case. Things that are fraud are still going to be prosecuted as frauds that's not going to go away and and there's no indication that it will will go away at least not thus far. There's a lot of rhetoric, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's so. The last thing I would say about the the Trump factor is I think that it actually increases potential danger for organizations and here's here's what I mean. If you have people in your organization that hear the president but don't know the inside baseball, don't follow prosecutions, don't know what the letters in FCPA mean, and conduct themselves based on the rhetoric, then there's actually an increased chance, potentially, within some organizations, that there is going to be misconduct. So I think that, and I think I've mentioned this before, I think that this rhetoric that's been in the news and is on front of mind for so many people is a learning opportunity inside your organization to come back with some actual facts. You know, get some quotes from Jeff Sessions speeches where he talks about continuing enforcement about FCPA and, and, and more generally about criminal liability for organizations. Go out and get the statistics. You can go to the U.S. sentencing Commission's website, ussc.gov, and you have right there, easy to find, is uh, the organizational sentencing statistics. And you'll see that there's not statistics for this year yet, because this year's not over, but it, but for every year, you see a con- continuing a consistent trend of organizations finding themselves in the ultimate trouble, getting prosecuted and get- taking a felony conviction. That's not going away. It's not changing. So I think that This is sort of a double-edged sword in a way, is not only is the the rhetoric out of step with what is actually going on in the ground, but the rhetoric potentially might cause some actors to think that the environment is different than what it is. I don't think that's the case. And we continue to see prosecutions, both large and small, of people being charged for for violations, business frauds, and, and other criminal acts associated with business. And that's not going to go away, and I think that it's important and, and, and incumbent upon all of us that are responsible for compliance to continue to talk about it, and you know, not necessarily dismiss that things couldn't change, but just that the facts, at least so far, don't bear out that they have. One other myth, which is a continuing myth that I wanted to talk about regarding enforcement, is this notion that we are too small to be considered a threat, or that the threat is, is not going to catch us because we're a small organization. This will not die out. This is a myth that's been around for a long time. I've done my best and my little little part of, of, the, of the world here to try to debunk this myth over and over again, and I will continue to do so. But there's still this, it's, it's, it has a lot of traction. People really believe it. They, they think, I'm just too small. My organization is just too small. I fly under the radar. It's not going to happen to me. I'm not going to get struck by lightning. I'm not going to win the criminal liability lottery. Well, I don't know what the odds are, but the odds are probably greater that you'll win the criminal liability lottery than that you will actually win the, the real lottery lottery that's going on right now. It is more likely, if you are a small organization, and this is the thing that is counterintuitive and people don't understand, it is more likely, the statistics bear out, it is more likely that your organization is going to have the most serious repercussions for criminal conduct, which is a federal felony conviction for the organization if you're smaller than you're larger. Let me repeat that again. This is something, again, that I've talked about before. It's a particular subject that I, I, I feel the need to talk about repeatedly because it's still a big myth. It's not the Walmarts of the world that take a conviction. It's the little, little guys and gals out there that take the convictions, the small organizations. The data bears this out. Again, we don't have data from uh, from the department of justice is all of the cases that they investigate and nothing happens so we can't you know one of the one of the things that would be nice to have but we don't have is this notion of what's the total universe of what they're looking at and it could be that overall they're looking at more large organizations than they are small organizations it's hard to say because we just don't know what the total number is but what we do know because it's 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 very carefully recorded, and it's very accurate, is how many organizations have had their representative stand in front of a federal judge, either plead guilty or be found guilty by a judge or jury, and then be sentenced. We know that number, and that number is pretty consistent between 150 and 200 cases a year, year in, year out. And those cases overwhelmingly are organizations with less than 1,000 individual employees. The most recent year we have, which is uh, 2015 from the United States Sentencing Commission, the data shows that 69.9, so 70% of organizations that ended up with a felony conviction, or that were sentenced rather, had less than 50 employees, 70%. And if you add up organizations up to 1,000 employees, it's 90%. 90%. 90%. That's pretty overwhelming. So if you have less than a thousand employees, for most organizations, that's small, maybe a medium-sized organization, depending on your what you do and, and what your industry is, but still relatively small. And 90% of the companies that end up taking a conviction fall into that demographic range. Again, I think this is counterintuitive. People see the headlines. We talk about Wells Fargo, we talk about Walmart, we talk about big companies and and sort of outsized organizations when they get in trouble. That's what that's what makes the paper. There's nothing wrong with that, but but it, it does, I think, help distort this notion that you can fly under the radar, so to speak, if you're a small organization and you don't have significant or effective compliance controls. If something happens, you're in the bullseye. You're not going to get a special break. That's not what the data shows. A sort of related myth to this, and so this is I'm going to say myth two B <laughs> of the three myths I was going to talk about. So this is myth two B is uh, that only organizations in highly regulated industries face uh, regulatory challenges or or criminal challenges on these issues. That's also very obviously a myth. I think that's less. Common than the small size one, but still out there, this notion that if you are making widgets and you aren't in finance or healthcare or one of the other highly regulated businesses in the United States, that somehow you're going to be immune to repercussions from prosecution. Certainly nothing exempts you from criminal liability as an organization. Nothing exempts you from having a fraud case or probably more likely a case that's related to some sort of HR issue like harassment. If you have more than 2 people working for your organization, you potentially could have a harassment case, you know, and and potentially could find find yourself, if not not criminal liability, certainly civil liability. There's, there's nothing to stop an organization of small size or in a non-highly regulated industry to have a fraud case. Fraud happens all the time. The perfect example of a, of a fraud case is uh, what happened with Wells Fargo. Wells Fargo is a highly regulated industry what happened at Wells Fargo had absolutely nothing to do with the complicated regulations, the banking regulations that they find themselves under, that they have to spend millions of dollars a year to be in compliance with. Uh, it may collaterally have something to do with with some of those issues. But what, what it was at its heart, uh, and I'm talking about the issues... Uh, not the most recent insurance issues, but the issues with fraudulent accounts was just that. Fraud. It was simple fraud that, you know, happens all the time. Somebody made up accounts. They forged documents and it was very unsophisticated. That can happen to anybody it happened to happen to 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 a bank that's highly regulated but it was not because of the regul it was not based on the complicated regulations that wasn't the violation there the violation was a simple garden variety fraud so that can happen to anybody any organization and that's something to keep in mind no matter how sophisticated you are no matter how small you are you need to bust that myth because it can happen to you and a good place to get the ammunition to make that case is the Sentencing Commission's website, as I mentioned, USSC.gov. The third and final myth I want to talk about also is related to data that you can find at the Sentencing Commission and and, and, and in other locations. And that's this myth that happens more frequently with those of us that are really, really laser focused on compliance issues. I've actually done a specific podcast on this, and if you haven't listened to it, I'd encourage you to go back and find it. It's on, on anti-corruption enforcement. But it is a it is a pet peeve of mine that still so much oxygen goes towards uh, FCPA or anti-corruption compliance. And it's important. And again, whenever I talk about this, I always deliver the caveat. I understand this is a high-risk issue for many, many organizations. But it all, it is not a high-risk is- issue for all organizations. And for pretty much any organization, it is a low-likelihood, though high-severity issue, which means it doesn't happen that much compared to everything else. Again, if you look at the sentencing statistics from the sen- Sentencing Commission, so those cases that actually we have you know really concrete evidence on that have ended up with a well-documented settlement... 33%, one-third of those cases are environmental violations. 21% of those cases are fraud cases, not bribery cases. Almost 10% fall into the other category, and that's going to be things like tax and product safety and things of the, that nature. Immigration, import-export, antitrust are all between 5 and 7%. Money laundering, 5%. FDA violations involving the Food and Drug Act make about 12%. And a little teeny sliver of 0.6%, so less than 1%, end up being bribery. Now, again, I understand that many cases involving bribery are resolved by other means. They're resolved at the SC, with the SEC, or they're resolved with a non prosecution or deferred prosecution agreement, but even in the biggest year, those NPAs and DPAs and SEC resolutions number in the dozens, not in the hundreds. So when you're looking at actual criminal cases against organizations, it's overwhelmingly environmental. And if you dig down a little deeper and look at environmental regulatory violations, things that don't rise to the level of being criminal, those number in the thousands. So an important myth here is to really know, I think that the core of this is to really know your risk. Know what risk areas really apply to your organization and apply your limited resources based on that risk analysis. And it may be that FCPA is a top tier risk for your organization because of where you operate and because of the scrutiny of your industry. But it may also be not the case. And that's an important myth to bust in my opinion because we very often... If you go to an SCCE event, or if you go to other compliance events, if you you know listen to webinars, if there's going to be a specific risk topic that's discussed, it's very often anti-corruption. And again, not to minimize it, not to say that it's not important or that it's a doesn't happen, but is it really what your risk is? I think that there's some data out there that at least should open your eyes to the notion that you need to take a long look internally to figure out what your real risks are. And, you know, none of this also uh, encompasses civil risk on issues like harassment which we mentioned a few minutes ago. You know, there are risks other than than criminal risks that can be very detrimental to an organization. So, I think you just have to, you know, go in with open eyes and and this last myth, the third myth is 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 making sure you know what your real risks are. The upshot this time is do your best as a compliance professional to bust some myths. Though it's hard to avoid the Trump factor in all our lives these days. Be realistic about what is going on with regulatory and criminal enforcement in the world and whether those risks still are there for your organization. Also, bust that myth that because you're small or not in a highly regulated industry that you don't have any exposure. And finally, make sure that the oxygen for compliance and the resources brought to bear actually reflect the risks that your organization faces. Thanks for listening to Compliance Beat. Check out our website, compliancebeat.com. This podcast is brought to you by Morehead Compliance Consulting. Be sure to check us out at moorheadconsulting.com.